Hi everyone and welcome to episode 95 of SAMA, a program which invites an expert each week to discuss their area of expertise. And this week we're delighted to have Jeffrey M. Smith as our guest expert to talk about the dangers of DMOs in, uh, for humans and for the environment. Now the leader consumer advocate promoting healthier non-GMO choices, Jeffrey was named the 2017 Person of the Year by Masters of Health magazine. For more than two decades, his research has exposed how biotech companies mislead policymakers and the public, gosh, imagine that, and put the health of society and the environment at risk. Uh, Jeffrey has lectured in 45 countries, cancelled leaders from every continent, and has been quoted by thousands of news outlets, including the New York Times, Washington Post, the Times in London, Associated Press, Routers, LA Times and Time magazine. He regularly appears on influential radio and television programs, including BBC, NPR, Fox News, and now SAMA. Welcome to our show, Jeffrey. It's fantastic to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me. <coughs> okay, Paul, um, I'll put this question to you. Um, we all hear about GMOs, but the governments worldwide don't seem to be putting much of resistance to GMO and GMO research. So it can't be a bad thing, can it? <laughs> that was kind of a, a throwing a soft, slow softball ready for me to hit out the park. Thank you for that really easy. I don't think the people watching your show really believe that the government is does the thing, does, works on behalf of the public at all times. And in this case, the regulatory agencies are often captured and that is what happened. I'll give the example in the United States. Yes. Uh, in the Bush, first Bush administration, um, right after Reagan, uh, Monsanto, which was the big GMO maker, convinced them that GMOs would increase US exports. They were facing a trade deficit and they wanted to increase US exports. So they informed the FDA to promote GMOs and they promptly created a new position for Michael Taylor, the attorney to Monsanto, who then was in charge of FDA policy. And when he was in charge, the policy came out and said, we don't know of any difference between GMOs and non-GMOs that's significant, no testing necessary, no labeling necessary. We don't even have to know if you wanna put a GMO on the market, you can decide Monsanto. And then he became Monsanto's vice president. So a job well done, hands off regulation. In 19, that was in 1992, in May, when the policy came out. Mm -hmm. In 1998, a colleague of mine, Stephen Drucker, who's a, a lawyer, pioneered a lawsuit against the Food and Drug Administration for their policy. And they were forced to turn over 44,000 secret internal memos, which revealed that the entire GMO policy was a fraud. And he just mm -hmm. says it's the most serious and biggest fraud perpetrated on the American people in history. I, it may be, I don't know, there's some that are probably still being perpetrated that mm. we don't know about, but it basically revealed that the overwhelming consensus among the scientists working at the FDA was exactly the opposite. The GMOs were different and dangerous and needed to be um, tested and tested even on humans. They, they said it could create allergens and toxins and new diseases and nutritional problems. And they were overruled by Michael Taylor, Monsanto's former attorney. And, and when they handed off the, the documents to the office of, of um, the 
management, Office of Management and Budget, to the White House Council, to the Health and Human Services. Each one of them in the executive branch said, nope, it has to be even more pro-GMO. So it was continually, as it went up the political campaign, political train, uh, chain, <clears throat> GMOs became safer and safer, but not in reality. No, no. And as far as the EPA goes, most GMOs, genetically modified organisms, you take genes from one species and you force it into the DNA of other species or you rearrange genes within the species. The main reason they genetically engineer is to spray that crop with herbicides that would normally kill the crop unless it's genetically engineered. So it's sold as a package to farmers by chemical companies that sell the chemical and the seeds. Monsanto has Roundup ready crops and Roundup, more than 80% of GMOs are Roundup ready. And so the EPA, Environmental Protection Agency in the United States, uh, approved Roundup. And now we understand that based on documents released from another lawsuit, that Monsanto had a lapdog inside the EPA, just as they had their former attorney inside the FDA. They had people in the, in the EPA working on their behalf, um, ignoring the science, rewriting evidence, et cetera. And so we can see inside now in fact, just yesterday, a, a jury awarded a man who got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma after spraying Roundup. They had determined earlier last week that it was Monsanto's Roundup that caused his cancer. And they determined yesterday that Monsanto was liable because they hid the evidence and they did not inform him of the risks and he was awarded $80 million. So that's the second jury to unanimously agree that Roundup caused the man's cancer and also that Monsanto acted it with malice and, and hid the information. So now that we know that it was um, produced through industry manipulation and political collusion, how bad is it? Which is my next question to me, if I would, if you want me to go there. Yes, well, we try not to be too political, but. Um, it was quite a happy coincidence, isn't it, how Monsanto and GMOs are sort of um, both sort of um, growing hand in hand, haven't they? But for the for the individual consciences of these people that are in control, they've got to live with themselves. It's hard to put yourself, your head on their shoulders and think, well, what sort of person are they knowingly changing science, changing the, the facts and the results? Well, I, can give, I can give you some stories from former Monsanto people. Um, one former Monsanto scientist told me that three of his colleagues were doing safety studies on the milk from cows injected with Monsanto's genetically engineered bovine growth hormone. They found so much cancer-promoting hormone in the milk, IGF-1, that the three Monsanto scientists refused to drink milk after that unless it was organic, one bought his own cow. So here they are, people in Monsanto testing Monsanto's product on milk that's sold everywhere, <laughs> and basically refusing to drink milk. He also told me that when rats were fed Monsanto's corn, that it damaged the rats. And so Monsanto rewrote the study to hide the effects. Now, these were not surprises to me to hear that because I was aware that Monsanto rigs their research and hides evidence. <laughs> but he was concerned because <clears throat> he was familiar that in South Africa, corn is a staple. It's eaten three times a day. It's like rice in Asia, corn in Southern Africa. And he knows that with Monsanto, they do 90-day studies, and the maximum amount of GMO corn they feed the rats is typically 33%, far less than a person in South Africa would eat that eats corn regularly. 
<laughs> and so the scientist said he was concerned that in 90 days there was such damage to the rats. What happens to the people in Southern Africa? Yes. Well, I was interviewing a veterinarian in the United States who had a client who had a farm in South Africa who had terrible problems with the pigs and cows. The milk production was bad. The joints were problems. The, the pigs were, some of them had like Alzheimer's kind of symptoms. They were cannibalistic and had all sorts of health issues. He was losing money. So <clears throat> the veterinarian told the person, never feed the animals a GMO again. So he grew <clears throat> non-GMO corn, <clears throat> fed it to the animals, and they all got better. And that I've seen that over and over again. But then he ran out of the non-GMO corn, had to buy GMO corn from the marketplace. Yes. They got worse again. And then mm. he finally grew enough for year-round feeding, and they all got better. But during mm. the time that he was doing this back and forth, his farm workers were either eating the corn grown on the, on the farm or that he was bringing in. So mm. when the animals were sick in the beginning, the farm workers were sick. <clears throat> when they started switching to non-GMO corn, when they grew that in the farm, the, the farm workers got better. When they ran out, the farm workers got sick until they were able to switch back. When I talk about sick, this is how the veterinarian described it. And it was described to him by the owner that <coughs> flu-like symptoms, severe headaches, inflammation. And he said that the farm owner would talk to it every about once or twice a month. And he had about 60 farm workers. He actually only needed 50, but so many were sick. He had to he had to hire 60 or 20% more. He said once or twice a month, he would speak, speak to a farm worker and the eyes wouldn't track. They'd go in different directions. And he knew within one or two days, they would be dead. Gosh. And that all went away when they switched to non-GMO corn. So mm -hmm. this is, these, these people, canaries in the coal mine, so to speak, are, were eating more GMO corn and probably more GMOs than any humans on the planet because it was a staple eaten three times a day. And when they were eating the GMO corn from the, from the farm, the farm was growing 100% GMO corn. So if you just buy corn from the in, in market, it's mixed. So they were by, by eating 100% GMO corn and dying and having sickness, causing many to, to have severe symptoms and lose work. And this was the fear. Now, I learned about this after I talked to the scientist, so I never was able to tell him that his fears appeared to be validated. And this is just one of numerous stories that I can share. In fact, I think I've heard more of these stories, particularly the recoveries, the recoveries, John, of when people switch to non-GMO diets and particularly organic because Roundup can still be sprayed on non-GMO crops. Mm -hmm. the, the improvements are dramatic and predictable. For example, I was giving a talk at MIT where Stephanie Seneff works. And I invited her to come on stage and share the podium with me so that she could give some of her research on, on glyphosate, <clears throat> the active ingredient in Roundup. But I always start the lectures, I did for about 150 lectures the same way, saying, please, if anyone noticed a difference when they switched to non-GMO food, please share. So a woman stood up and said her six and a half year old was violent and out of control and they wanted to kick him out of school. She told me privately later they wanted to label him retarded. Mm -hmm. And then she said she saw my last film, Genetic Roulette, and changed his diet and all the problems went away. I said, how long did it take? She said, one week. What? And, then she, and then she paused and said, within a month, I had a new son. 
And I spoke to uh, Michelle Perro, who was not only in Genetic Roulette, my previous film, but Secret Ingredients that you can see back there. That's my newer film uh, that I did with Amy Hart. I said, what kind of results are you getting when you put children on different diets? She said, the parents say, I don't even recognize my own son or daughter. They've changed so much. The, dr the dramatic improvement is absolutely predictable. And in some cases, serious issues get dramatically better, including autism, just by changing the diet. In the movie Secret Ingredients, we have two autistic kids who the families went to organic. They're no longer on the spectrum. We have infertile couples that have kids, people that had cancer and allergies and brain fog and overweight and skin conditions and all these things getting better. And this is actually something that I have heard from people at 150 lectures. We surveyed 3,256 people, got the same results. I can even tell you what the more common improvements are, what the least common improvements are, and the, plausitive, the, the plausible causative pathways between GMOs and Roundup and those diseases, yeah. why it's predictable, and why it also affects dogs, cats, pigs, and cows, and basically living things. Wow, it's absolutely um, amazing. Now, um, you were just saying this the other day that there was this court case, this gentleman was, record, was uh, awarded $60 million. Um, that's obviously going to be- It was actually a little over $80 million. Uh, oh, oh. That was this week. And then um, the previous one, which was over the summer, uh, the jury awarded the man $289 million, but the, jury, the judge dropped it to $78 million. Okay. Now, this is going to be a floodgate, isn't it? This, people are going to take, you know, sit up, take notes, and either see, well, you know, that for them to win a case means there's definitely something going on. So even the most ardent supporter of uh, GMOs, if there are people, um, is going to say, well, gosh, there's got to be something there if, if um, it's been proven beyond reason to have caused a serious illness. And governments as well, like... Uh, Gosh, it's, it's really beyond belief. Now, okay, the science. How can splicing genes from one, um, one organism. Yeah, organism to a, to a seed, how, how is that harmful? How can it be harmful? Because the organism where the, you know, the, the donor, if you like, um, that's, that's a natural organism itself. It's just taking right. a portion of that and transferring it across. I think we should look at the two different categories, which is one, the actual process of genetic engineering, and two, what is the reason you're genetically engineering, like Roundup Ready or in creating an insecticide or silencing mm. a gene? And we'll take a look at the what can go wrong based on what they intended to do uh, with the inserted gene or the gene editing. So the first question was, what can go wrong with the process of genetic engineering? So let's let's be clear about what happens. The traditional gene. Uh, genetically modified organism, you take uh, a gene that you want. So let's say you want to <clears throat> create an insecticide produced in a corn plant. So they take um, a corn, they take a, a soil bacterium called Bacillus thuringiensis, or BT for short, and it produces a toxin called BT toxin that breaks open little holes in the walls of insects to kill them. You can spray BT on crops as a gardener, and it works on certain types of insects. So they created crops that produce their own insecticide. They're actually registered as insecticides with the EPA. The way they do that is they take the gene that produces the BT toxin, they isolate it, 
Yes. They make millions of copies and then they insert it into corn cells, either through a gene gun, literally shooting a gun with little particles of tungsten or gold coated with these genes, or they use bacteria to infect the cell. Then they clone that cell using tissue culture into the full crop. And now every single cell has a gene-sized spray bottle. And the amount of Bt toxin, by the way, that it's producing is thousands of times more, more concentrated than the amount that's used in the spray. The spray washes off, it biodegrades, but not the Bt inside the corn that we eat. And that's another thing, we'll talk about that. But the process of genetic engineering causes massive collateral damage. So whether it's the insertion or the cloning, you end up with hundreds or thousands of mutations up and down the DNA. Now those mutations can change the levels of expression of other genes. They can switch on genes, like in one of Monsanto's BT corn varieties. There's a gene that is normally silent. It was switched on. It produces gamazine, a known allergen. So it's not labeled in the product. You might have a deadly allergic reaction to the corn. It's from the collateral damage. Their Roundup-ready corn has over 200 changed proteins or metabolites, including compounds called putrescine and cadaverine. I love those names, which are increased... And they're responsible for the foul odor of rotting dead bodies. They're linked to bad breath, allergies, and cancer. And there's more of it in Monsanto's Roundup Ready corn. So the process of insertion can switch on an oncogene causing a carcinogen. It can switch on a toxin. It can switch on an allergen. It can reduce, it can switch on an anti-nutrient. So soy, for example, has, high, has much higher levels of an anti-nutrient, which blocks nutrient absorption. It has much higher levels of an allergen, up to seven times the amount of an allergen in cooked GM soy. It has lower proteins, et cetera, et cetera. So even though there's concept, this political non-scientific concept that they're substantially equivalent, it's all a lie. And this is what the FDA scientists warned about. This is basically very well documented. In fact, it's so documented that human genetic engineering has been found to cause cancer and death they insert a gene into a human and it accidentally switched on an oncogene causing leukemia. And they checked it out. They stopped all research. They figured out what was doing, what was going on. I talked to a human genetic engineer. He said, with human genetic engineering, they pay careful attention and do all sorts of tests. With agricultural genetic engineering, they don't even look. God. So that's an example of the problems with the process of genetic engineering. And it's similar with gene editing. With gene editing, you typically have to insert the the genetic scissors, again, through uh, bacterial infection or um, biolistics, and then you still clone the crop. And the, and the actual process of, of the gene editing causes additional mutations. So, so even though they say, just as they did 30 years ago, oh, it's safe, predictable, we don't have to even regulate it or tell consumers, the same sentences were used. And now they're admitting that the first generation of GMOs had unpredicted side effects, pretending that these don't, even though now the jury's are in and it's, it does. Right. So every time you play God, you screw things up. Well, you know, I, I spent 45 minutes in a diner once with a friend of mine trying to figure out what GMO could stand for. And we came up with, I came up with God move over. Yes. Yes. There you go. Playing God. Mm. I guess that um, there's no point in you applying for a, a position in the marketing department of Monsanto. The, um, there's a you know, I'm not on their Christmas list. <laughs> You've not, have you received any cards from them? Or not, not, no joyous cards, I guess. 
You know, their their people are are prohibited to be on stage with me. Um, in fact, I was in Dr. Oz in the United States, and scientists refused to be on the stage on national television when I was. So I so Dr. Oz had to say, Jeffrey's so controversial. The other scientists won't be. I was with a a, a colleague who's a doctor, and we were talking about the dangers. And so he had us leave the stage, and then in comes a pro GMO uh, scientist. And she just starts giving disinformation and misinformation one after the other. No mm. wonder she didn't want us on the stage. She was lying. Mm. Now, fortunately, they, they had to redo a section from us. And so we were able to, to let the audience know uh, about what was coming um, in an interesting way. We kind of preempted it. But anyway, so yeah, it, they, they don't want to be. At one time, I was called by the national TV show called The Doctors just after the uh, International Agency for Research on Cancer a World Health Organization committee, determined that Monsanto's glyphosate, the primary poison in Roundup, causes cancer or was a probable human carcinogen. Mm. And the doctors was, they were interviewing Donna Farmer, the senior toxicologist from Monsanto, who was going to give her side of the story. So at the very last minute, they invited me to join by Skype. And I don't think Donna Farmer would have accepted the invitation had she known that I was to be invited. And I really debated her and just you know, put her under my thumb and said, no, this is what it does. Then two years later, because of the lawsuits against the Monsanto for the cancer victims, um, the lawyer, Brent Wisner, and I have a six-part interview with him on our site, responsibletechnology.org, absolutely mind-blowing. Some people call it life-changing series of interviews when they, he revealed what actually goes on inside Monsanto. Um, so I looked at the Monsanto papers that were made public because of his particular work. He got it made public. He, it was brilliant how he did it. And I, I Googled, I searched under the name Donna Farmer, and there it was. She said on the show that I was debating her, we can't say that Roundup doesn't, you know, she said in the show that she's completely confident in the product and as a mother and as a scientist. She said in private, we can't say that Roundup doesn't cause cancer because there's not enough research. She said in private in her texts and emails that, um, Roundup may have caused the tumor of the rats in one study. They may have caused the death of another other rats. And she also ghost wrote um, some research uh, that was, she took her name out, took Monsanto's name out and, and minimized the role of Roundup with um, miscarriages. So uh, I called the doctors, the producer and said, see, she lied on television two years ago. We have it in black and white. So they invited her back to debate me again. And, and she said, no, Monsanto said, no. They put me on along with Brent Wisner for an hour. They, they, I don't think they'd ever had an entire show dedicated to one topic, but they did an hour on the Monsanto papers and the link to cancer. So it was, uh, so you asked me what Monsanto thinks about me. Uh, they, they know about me and they've yeah, actually paid scientists, they've paid scientists to misrepresent my work, attack me. Yeah. And I don't, uh, it's just a badge. It's a merit badge. You know, it's when they, when that happens, I know I'm doing okay. With all the um, with with the court cases recently, that must be um, costing Monsanto quite a bit, you know. So Monsanto was purchased by Bayer, the pharmaceutical company that makes aspirin. Yes. For sixty-three billion, yes. and because of the res the results of last summer's um, uh, verdict and the one that happened today and the and the first half of the trial just last week, there was a drop of about forty percent of the hundred billion dollar capitalization of Bayer. It's now at about $58 billion. So the entire company is being 
valued at 58 billion, even though they paid 63 billion to buy Monsanto. This means that they're aware that there's 11, whoops, sorry. <laughs> Everyone's going, whoa, no, there was not another earthquake. They're, they're aware that there's 11,200 more plaintiffs that are being represented in class actions against Monsanto. And they're aware that the first plaintiff got 78 million, the second got 80 million. And if you multiply 80 million times 11,200, uh, it's about 880 billion. So even if they get 10%, you've just wiped out, you're just bankrupt there. Now that's just in non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It turns out that if you plot the amount of Roundup sprayed on GMO soy and corn, and we've seen this, Stephanie Seneff did it with Nancy Swanson, over 30 diseases are rising in parallel with that same slope. Autism, um, congenital heart problems, irritable bowel, all sorts of cancers, diabetes, high blood pressure, deaths from Alzheimer's, deaths from senile dementia, deaths from leukemia. It goes on and on. And yes. if you look at the nature of what Roundup and glyphosate do, it attacks the fundamentals of health in the body. It deprives us of minerals. It attacks the microbiome as an antibiotic. It creates leaky gut. It can damage the mitochondria. It can mess up hormones. It is a probable human carcinogen. It can create birth defects. And if you look at these things, and like leaky gut, if you look at these things, most of these are related to numerous diseases. I've talked to scientists and doctors where if you just have microbiome messed up, most diseases can come from that. If you just have inflammation from leaky gut, most diseases can come from that. If you have mineral problems for absorption, many diseases. It also can interfere with the production of neurotransmitters, potentially with like, like serotonin, dopamine, melatonin. That can relate to the mood problems and the increase of, of anxiety and depression and sleep problems that we're seeing. So if you look at all these things, that all the diseases, you can link it with the modes of action of Roundup or BT toxin or the process of genetic engineering itself. So yeah. we're talking about what is likely to be one of the biggest health calamities on the planet because uh, Roundup is the, is the most sprayed agricultural chemical in history. It's sprayed so much, the US Geological Survey found it in 60 to 100% of the air samples and rain samples in the Midwest. And so it is being drank, it's, it's, it's sprayed on the cereals, the grains in the United States and elsewhere to just before harvest to dry down the crop. It's sprayed on the beans, it's sprayed on potato fields and, and vineyards and orchards and whatnot. So it's, it's found in non-organic food throughout the food supply. And so people really need to pay attention so that they actually avoid it. So we teach people how to avoid it and also how to recover from it. But it's going to be harder and harder to avoid. Do you think that with, you know, Bayer are now looking down the barrel of a big gun. Do you think with everything that's happening, especially recently, that there's, there's going to be a paradigm change, that they are going to change things and perhaps um, rewind? Do you think that... You know, you know, it's a big question, and I, I say this. I'm an activist and my focus has been using behavior change messaging. Now what's behavior change messaging? If some of the audience already feels like they want to switch to organic food, 
That's behavior change messaging. Basically giving the truth in an area where people actually have a solution so that we're promoting people to make healthier choices. So we pioneered the, the exposure and dissemination of the health dangers of GMOs. Uh, we were the only NGO doing it big time starting you know, years ago. I've been working on this for 23 years in 45 countries. And right now what's happened is we have established a tipping point underway in the United States where there's so many people, 46% of Americans say they're looking for non-GMO food, so many of them that it's forcing the food companies to be non-GMO in more and more of their brands. So the tipping point is an economic pressure based on consumer demand. It isn't necessarily a paradigm change. Okay. <clears throat> paradigm change would be to, to realize we shouldn't be manipulating the DNA because we are babes in the woods where it's an infant technology and it can cause massive damage in humans and all living things for all future generations. If you, <clears throat> I don't know what your position is on climate change, but it is a debate as to which is worse, GMOs and genetic contamination of the gene pool versus massive climate change, because the only thing that lasts longer than genetic pollution is extinction. So the, the paradigm change that we're going for is an understanding that there's an intelligence in nature that's not rocket science, it's far more complex. And we should not be using our reductionist thinking to do individual manipulations inside such a complex system as our DNA, where every single few months we end up learning that everything we knew is wrong. There's a new theory out, um, omnige omnigenics, where it's thought that most or many traits, complex traits, are actually the result of not one gene or 15 genes, but every gene. Every single gene contributes to the expression of certain complex traits, traits like height, for example. Hmm. Now, if that's the case, and you insert a new gene, that means you're inserting a gene that's not just a another random gene, you switch it on 100% of the time. So instead of being regulated by the conductor of the symphony, giving the cue, now you go up because you're needed, now you go down, it's given a permanent on switch. It's like a kazoo in that symphony going full blast and disturbing the whole thing. And what if, that, what if it means that it's disturbing every trait that requires the complete coordination of all the genes? So it's not just messing up that particular trait, it's messing up many traits. So yeah. the paradigm shift comes when we understand the complexity. You see, and that happens a little slower in science. The old paradigm was one gene produces one protein, produces one trait. The paradigm shift happened when the Human Genome Project was expecting 100,000 genes or more because there was 100,000 proteins and they came up with like 22,000 genes. That means, oh, everything we knew was wrong. But they still go along as if it's true when they genetically engineer. They still insert a gene hoping that it produces one trait and they got lucky with BT toxin and Roundup Ready, but they also are messing up understand. very fundamental uh, aspects of the genome. The symphony, and but this by the way, Jeffy, there's nothing wrong with the kazoo, so I just want to make it clear right now. That you've leaked. <laughs> I'm not against kazoos, but if you have this beautiful, um, uh, symphony going and then you have this loud 
thing that's as loud as you can possibly imagine. Yes, that's what it's like when you have these viral promoters stuck in with these genes, putting yes. 100% output of proteins, causing changes. Yes. And, and, and like, I'll give you one example. There's a, new, there's a technology now called RNA interference using double-stranded RNA. They insert a gene, it creates a little snippet of RNA, folds back on itself like a hairpin. It, imagine that it'll just anthropomorphize it. It goes along and seeks out its corresponding code in the DNA. When it finds it, it grabs it and it silences it. So it muzzles the, the expression of certain proteins. And so it turns out that the apple and the potato that are recently introduced in the United States, they've muzzled or silenced the genes that promote browning. So you can slice the apples. They don't get brown. They just dry up. You can slice the, 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 or bruise the potatoes. They don't get brown. Now, if you eat those apples or potatoes, that double-stranded RNA is still there. It can still search along your DNA, theoretically, and silence many genes. So it can potentially reprogram our gene expression. And this was a deep concern of scientists that I've interviewed, including a former scientist from the U.S. government who was basically kicked out of the USDA when he wrote a peer-reviewed article indicating these type of problems. In fact, the person who created the potato, he was working on potatoes for Monsanto, and then he worked for J.R. Simplot, the biggest potato producer. They produced the innate potato that's genetically engineered. After he retired, he started looking into the dangers and realized his mistake and just wrote a book called Pandora's Potato, the worst GMO, describing how it could reprogram human DNA and numerous other things like having more poisons in it that'll be hidden because usually when you have a bruised potato, you cut it out because there's mycotoxins there or there's, there's microtoxins. He actually said you can't see those bruises, so you may be eating poisonous potatoes in addition to the reprogramming your DNA. So the, you asked about what can go wrong. This is another example, not just the process of genetic engineering, but what they're using genetic engineering for in an irresponsible way. Gosh. Now, GMO, of course, allows people to grow crops that... Um that are super crops. They can spray them, only the weeds die. You've lectured in, in 45 different countries, probably more than that. Have any of those countries banned GMO? Yes, they've banned the planting of GMOs. Um, very few banned the importation of GMO food. Yes. Uh, at one point, uh, Zambia did. Uh, got some interesting stories there. They, they had a famine and the U.S. wanted to send genetically engineered corn uh, to all these regions, and they said no. And the U.S. said, eat it or starve. So wow. Zambia just got um, aid from somewhere else. But they blew the whistle. Uh, they really exposed and uh, basically ridiculed the concept that GMOs were needed to feed the world. So they were, they were attacked mercilessly by the GMOs uh, people, by Colin Powell, by... All these different people, they, they were sent senators and professors and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, it was interesting. I, when I wrote this long, long interview response to a, to a uh, magazine in South Africa called Nose Week, the, the Zambian government paper asked to reprint it, and it was two full pages in the newspaper, and inside it was a picture of the president. Basically, it vindicated their position and then I was invited to speak to the House of Chiefs there. And I said, I'm from the United States. So first of all, I apologize. And they all 
laughed and, and applauded because the U.S. was treating them terribly. I talked to a, a minister of the government there who was the a minister of agriculture at the time. She said the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture just absolutely dissed him. He was introduced as the Zambian Minister of Agriculture. She said, primitive country, and walked away snubbing him. I said to him, if that ever happens to you again, call me. I will give you the data. In fact, when Ann Veneman spoke at the World Trade Organization in Cancun, she, was, she and the U.S. Trade Representative were, were giving a press conference to, in front of 600 press. So they had took five questions, and I was the fifth question. So we, we all raised our hand, and I was lucky to be called. So I asked a question about the regulation of GMOs, and she lied to the, to the world press. And so I put out a press release saying, Secretary of Agriculture uh, misleads the delegates to the World Trade Organization and the world press about U.S. regulations on GMOs, claiming that they are carefully evaluated for safety, because they're not. Um, in fact, it, it's, it's all a facade. It's a, a meaningless exercise, this voluntary consultation process. So we have a situation where the U.S. government, if you read the WikiLeaks uh, about uh, GMOs, the, the ambassadors and the State Department is part of the enforcement wing bullying other countries to try and introduce GMOs. So the ambassador to France said we should draw up a, a retaliation list of countries and, quote, cause some pain for those that were resistant. The ambassador to Spain wrote that he had just met with the, the regional director of Monsanto and the minister of agriculture in Spain, asked the U.S. to put more pressure on Brussels on GMOs and to help the Spanish government promote GMOs in the country. So we, we see the U.S. government has been marching lockstep with mm. Monsanto. But the good news is when people eat non-GMO and they choose non-GMO, it creates a tipping point irrespective of the policy. So that's pretty much what people can do. They vote with their pockets. Then, and I can, give, I can give a number of recommendations to everyone, including URLs and action steps and things like that. So at this point, we, if you want to do that, I can, if everyone will get their pens out or whatnot, I can give that information. Okay. Okay, so I'll just ask um, one question first. So if, um, if everyone wants to get their pens and papers, we can possibly publish the, um, the links in the bottom of the video um, later. But um, if you just want to get your pen piece of paper, and we'll, we'll this, um, Jeffrey will give you some links. Now, why is there controversy over GMO foods, and there is, but not GMO drugs? Why, why the disparity there? Why the difference? So uh, you, we faded out a bit. So you said, why is there discre- a, dis- a controversy yeah. about the food yeah. but not the drugs? Yeah, people don't seem to be aware of GMO drugs. Right. I'm going, to give, I'm going to give a very interesting answer to this one, I think, because um, I'm not personally as against GMO drugs that are given with full disclosure to individuals who choose to take the risk. Yes. And when, when the scientists realize the risks and account for them in the production process. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, I'm also aware that there's a, a food supplement called L-tryptophan. It's normally produced in a fermentation vat with bacteria. The company K, Showadenko KK, a Japanese chemical company, produced in the 1980s tryptophan using genetically engineered bacteria. And we talked about things can go wrong with the process of genetic engineering, and things did go wrong. It was almost certainly the process of genetic engineering caused contaminants to enter this closed vat system 
and those contaminants were responsible for a deadly epidemic in the United States, killing about 100 Americans and causing five to 10,000 to either fall sick or in many cases become permanently disabled for the rest of their lives. Now, I exposed the information about this epidemic in the, my books, Seeds of Deception and Genetic Roulette. I had support from William Christ, who was the chief investigator in the world. He gave me all of his notes before he died. And it demonstrates that the process of genetic engineering, even under careful laboratory conditions to produce supposedly pure drugs, and this was 99.6% pure yes. tryptophan, it was the, the remainder that was, that was actually the contaminants, tiny amounts, 0.1% or 0.01% contamination levels. Gosh. So it shows that using it for drugs can be deadly. Mm. And I'm aware of that. <clears throat> However, our Institute for Responsible Technology's position is take GMOs out of the food system and never release a GMO into the environment and then pay more attention and be careful and responsible for contained uses of GMOs. It's possible that certain drugs can save lives and can't be produced any other way. And it's possible it can kill people. Yes. So, but it's not something that will affect the entire population and all future generations. And possibly not, not so hidden. It's, um, okay, now, um, if you just want to give you links, perhaps, before we yes. move on. Yes. So the number one recommendation at this point is to watch the movie Secret Ingredients. And you can go to secretingredientsmovie.com. We pack a lot of information into that documentary, and it, it convinces virtually everyone of the urgent necessity to change their diet to an organic diet and to share the film with others who are suffering from many of the diseases and disorders that people in the film get better from when they switch to an organic diet. So at secretingredientsmovie.com, you can click over, you can watch it there, you can get a DVD, etc. You can also click from there to uh, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, but please sign up because we're compiling uh, a step-by-step guide to help people efficiently and, and, and affordably become organic. And so we're going to have a lot of tips, tricks, coupons, et cetera, for people to have. And we're compiling that for about two months from now or a month and a half. So that's one thing. Now our mothership uh, website for our Institute for Responsible Technology is called responsibletechnology.org. And then we have little satellite sites like pets and GMOs, because we have a information about why you really need to put your pets on organic food. And we have two minute and 10 minute films that you definitely want to see if you've got dogs or cats. We have non-gmoshoppingguide.com, which is primarily for the North American audience for the non-gmo project verified list. We have rounduprisks.com, which helps people um, organize in their communities and schools uh, to stop the spraying of Roundup and other toxic chemicals. And there's been a lot of success there. Of course, we have Facebook pages for Responsible Technology, Institute for Responsible Technology, and for the Secret Ingredients site. And we also have healingfromgmos.com, where uh, last summer I convened 18 experts to answer the question, in addition to changing your diet, how do you detox, repair, and rebuild the system after years of eating food with Ooh. GMOs and Roundup in it? So there's a lot of information packed into that. That is a a uh, series that you have to pay for 
Um, and that's available. It's you get like 24 videos and you get, you know, transcripts and everything. That was a really big production. It took us months to produce. So that's, that's your goodie bag. Uh, but if, if you, if you have to do one thing, please watch the movie secret ingredients because that is the big life changer. That's going to maybe start your journey. I can see some awards at secret ingredients. The movie is um, one as well. Yes, it's gotten awards. It's some um, audience, audience awards, impact awards, etc. The big award, however, is that when people see it, I mean, I, I go to the audience, I go to screenings, premieres, and I ask the audience beforehand, what percentage of the food you eat is organic? And then I, I pull the audience, how many are below 20, 20 to 40, whatever. And then after the film, I get up and before I ask, answer any question, I say, now, what percentage of your food will be organic? How many are below 20, will be below 20? No hands go up. 20 to 40, no hands go up. 40 to 60, a few. Most people are 60 to 80 or 80 to 100. Mm -hmm. And then I say, how many of you have already thought of someone you want to share the film with? I've never seen someone not raise their hand. Because it, we're talking about the major chronic diseases getting better or going away simply from switching to organic. And we explain why. And there's doctors in there saying, yes, this happens to my patients. And scientists explaining the effects of GMOs and Roundup with nice animation so it's really easy to understand. And you see the lives of people change. People cry when they see the people on screen go through their transformations. It's that powerful. So I would say that's the number one recommendation. Fantastic. Is it... Now, you, you mentioned before about a six-year-old child whose uh, behavior improved when they went to organic. Do you find that our children are more sensitive to the effects of GMO and to this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And there's a number of reasons why. First of all, they're more prone to allergies. Yes. More, more kids are, are, have allergic reactions below four years old. Uh, they eat more food per pound. Um, they use food differently. They use it to build systems. And so toxins or nutri nutritional problems will show up as fundamental problems in their physiology. Um, they don't have a fully developed immune system or microbiome. Mm -hmm. And um, in addition, if the mother has been eating Roundup, then Roundup is an antibiotic. It can mess up the microbiome because it preferentially kills the beneficial bacteria like lactobacillus and bifidobacteria and it can it can change the microbiome of the mother and the microbiome of the mother is what is transferred into the newborn as the newborn goes out the birth canal mm -hmm. so there and also if the child breastfeeds there's possibility of glyphosate in the milk now we're not suggesting that you switch to formula as a result every pediatrician i rec i know recommends breastfeeding, even if there are toxins in the breast milk, because it is so much healthier than infant formula. But if you do have to go to infant formula, make sure it's organic. In fact, start with, start with an organic diet before you conceive, because uh, there's studies that show that when you switch to an organic diet, you eliminate many of the toxic chemicals in your blood or in your urine uh, after just two or three weeks. Wow, that's an important message. We've talked about the effects of GMO on us, on people, and but on, on animals. What are the effects on the environment? Is there any negative effects? In the well, that's worse. That's worse. Because 
when you release a GMO into the environment, it cross-pollinates and becomes part of the species gene pool. Right. The most common result of genetic engineering is side effects, un unpredicted surprise side effects. Mm. But we've seen that over and over again. <clears throat> and now let's drill down to what's happening right now. Virtually every biological lab that does any sort of GMO work or genetic research can use CRISPR, a very inexpensive gene editing technique. And many of them are highly motivated to introduce products immediately. Some patent them and have to get it out before the patent expires. Others just want to get it out before the competition does. So it's like a gold rush or a gene rush. Yes. And there is no limit to which organisms are being targeted. Algae, fungus, bacteria, humans, livestock, pets, flowers, grass, trees, insects. And we know that Monsanto's stated goal to their consultant in the 80s and 90s was to genetically engineer 100% of all commercial seeds in the world and patent them. And that goal is now spread so that it's really the biotech industry trying to patent or genetically engineer virtually everything with DNA and release it into the environment. And that would be replacing nature, eliminating the products of the millions of years of evolution and replacing it with designer genes inserted into designer organisms designed for greater profit. And in some cases, greater control. And when you have the potential for catastrophic effects, and there's massive potential for catastrophic effects. We can go through some near misses, possible, there was a near miss that some scientists believe could have rendered North America sterile had they not incinerated one plot with bacteria. And that same bacteria could have changed the weather patterns over the United States. There's, there's just dramatic things that can happen when bacteria and other microorganisms, like the algae could destroy ecosystems because it can spread and end up in the ocean. If there are potential things that can go wrong and you multiply it by all the different species and all the different interactions between species, then it becomes almost a certainty that we're talking about a catastrophe of unprecedented proportions. And not only that, but there's some in the world of the biotech industry that want to basically engineer catastrophes using what's called a gene drive. Normally, when the male and the female of a species mate, then they give some of their offspring some traits and other offsprings other traits, but they engineer with gene drives so that all the offspring and all of their offspring and all of their offspring get the same uh, gene. And they want to send through the population these traits, including wiping out species, wiping out rodents, wiping out mosquitoes, changing the entire ecosystem intentionally, knowing that that alone, even if they're successful in that, it can end up going global, changing the ecosystem. But what they're not counting on is the fact that the, proce that the process of genetic engineering makes other changes that are not necessarily identifiable in the first generation, and there can be changes afterwards because it's not necessarily stable. So you may end up releasing genetically modified mosquitoes, and Oxitec, a UK company, has done that by the millions 
in four different countries or more? What happens if the saliva of those mosquitoes becomes toxic to humans? You know, that's a kind of, I asked the, one of the developers, Derek Nemo, one of the scientists, I said, we were testifying in Key West at the Mosquito Control Board because in Florida, they wanted to release these genetically modified mosquitoes and they gave me three minutes. <laughs> so we each had our three minutes. And I said to Derek afterwards, I said, what about the saliva? Couldn't that be causing problems for humans? Have you tested it? And he says, well, we're, we're just now seeing, we're doing a study right now to see if the protein that we put into the mosquito expresses, or the, the gene expresses the protein in the saliva. And I'm thinking, it's a little late, Derek, because you've already released millions in four countries and you still haven't checked the saliva. And then I said to him, you know, Derek, there was a study done for cystic fibrosis where they took a gene and inserted into a human genome into a cell. And they found up to 5% of the functioning genes changed their levels of expression. Remember that conductor conducting? All of a sudden, 5% of the orchestra is changing, either increasing, decreasing, switching on or switching off. I said, shouldn't you be testing the entire structure of the saliva? He said, good idea. So he's, he's one of the brain cells. He's one of the brain cells behind the Oxitec mosquitoes. So, so the, the, this is the vast picture, you know, far more dangerous than perhaps anything else right now that we're dealing with except for perhaps nuclear annihilation. Now, from a, from a more micro standpoint, we've seen it wipe out uh, or damage certain species in an ecosystem, damage the microbiome of the soil, um, cause compactification of the soil, which causes runoff and flooding. Um, we've seen uh, certain crops overrun with the different insects because they may have the insecticide may have killed off one insect, but then it opened up the niche for another. Um, we've seen uh, contamination, hundreds of incidences of contamination. We've seen that when, when Roundup Ready crops are sprayed or when Roundup is sprayed in some areas where Roundup Ready crops are, it can damage the ability for that fertility of that soil. Sometimes the next crops are, don't come up at all or they're smaller. Um, there's changes in, in basically even the soil macroorganisms, and my, as well as microorganisms, they can end up picking up the genes. Um, there's gene transfer. So it's, it's quite a mess. And it's, um, you know, when you get to the environment, then you change not only the, the species, but all of the other species and how that interacts. And yeah. that changes, that becomes exponential very quickly. That's right. And you can't ever hope to understand all the ramifications of a change because you're looking at a one generation of a change organism. Right going to change over a period of time. Now, it's not a stretch of the imagination to think about hostile states, countries which don't like America, don't like other countries, and they're going to be doing things deliberately. You mentioned they, they develop a crop which renders the consumers infertile. So that over, you know, it just takes one generation and they've got, they've got the country to themselves. It's, you it's know, um, I've heard stories, I've heard stories that are, I can't verify, but um, I know the sources of one person saying that the military was plotting, CIA was plotting to use like a termination technology or terminator seeds to, to, to be able to, to switch off the fertility of an enemy's uh, crops to starve them. Uh, that there was another one that talked about gaining control of other countries, the U.S. government using this to gain control of other countries. These are all plausible uses wow. of the technology. And you can, you know, you can, theoretically create a gene drive to target a gene that's found in a particular 
subset of human beings. You know, there's, there's, there's a, or you can create um, diseases, bacterial diseases, other things, viral diseases. And I talked to Dietrich Klinghardt, who's a top uh, doctor at the healingfromgmos.com website in our, in our conference. And he talked about how there's these um, viruses that are built into the DNA that are silenced, but they might be being switched on by the process of genetic engineering. And that's, I can go into the details as to why an inserted gene may switch on other genes. Uh, there's many reasons. But he said he, he, people think that that's already happening and that that may be unleashing many of the diseases that are on the rise or new diseases. In my book, Genetic Roulette, I talk about these ancient retroviruses that are in, embedded in the DNA but not switched on because they don't have a promoter. Well, they insert a viral promoter in with these GMOs. If that ends up switching on one of these ancient viruses, it could be disaster. So there's the, 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 the downside potential is only limited by our imagination and our stupidity. Gosh, gosh. Now we've come to the end of our seminar, Andrea. Um, I've noticed that you're a very negative person, Jeffrey. Do you want to end on a positive note? Is there I am actually a very optimistic person. I want to tell you all that we're winning. Good. In the United States, we have, we've initiated the tipping point for consumer rejection. Yes. We did it. It's underway. Companies are scrambling to eliminate GMOs. We, um, the, the film Secret Ingredients is easily, easily exposing the dangers and changing people's lives. I use information that I expose the truth. I don't hold back. And I have the data. I can, I can give you all the citations. And that helps people make the change. And yes. so I'm not doing this to scare people. I invite people to use the energy of emotion to switch it over so you don't feel like a victim, but you feel like a victor, that you take charge and that it, you don't let Monsanto and its enforcement wing in Washington, the FDA, tell you what's food and tell you what to eat, but we can do it ourselves. And then we actually create a tipping point. We change the structure of the supply chain because of our desires. That's a fantastic message to leave on. Jeffrey Smith, thank you so much for coming to our, to our show. Gosh, it's, it's worse than I thought. It's worse than I thought. I'm going to definitely watch that movie, Secret yeah. Ingredients. So it's secretingredientsmovie.com where I can view it? Correct. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, viewers. Uh, Jeffrey was one hour early because you're so keen to put the message forth to us tonight. Have a fantastic afternoon, Jeffrey. Thank you, thank you again. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.